Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Designing a Game-Changing User Experience, presented by SAP, the best-run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to help resolve some of the world's biggest challenges and to create real business impact. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run and design, aha, with the game changers, you're in the right place because this is where the best do it all. Let's see what the buzz on the street is. I have a quote from Wikipedia. Woohoo! And let me just give you a definition before I tell you what we're talking about today. Listen up. Customer experience, aha, she said it. Customer experience implies customer involvement at different levels, such as rational, emotional, sensorial, physical, and spiritual. That covers a lot of territory. Yes, that's the end of the quote. So imagine if you could see who your users are, who your prospects, your customers, in your online sites, if you could see the applications they're using, if you could follow all the links they're clicking, and maybe most important, if you could understand how they feel every step of the way as they interact with your product, with your ads, with your customer service, whatever it is you've got out there? Well, the answer is yes, you can. Aha. So settle down. We're going to talk about that today. Experience management combines experience data. Now think about Valentine's. Think about an X and an O for hugs and kisses. Okay. So if you take experience management, it combines the X data okay, experience, with operational data, there's the O. And it uses enhanced and integrated analytics like pop-up questionnaires, you've all seen those, surveys and pulse checks to give you ongoing feedback about what's happening out there. What do you do with all this? You can build products and solutions that truly resonate with your buyers now. It's a beautiful thing. So are you ready for some X and O love? Well, we certainly are. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome to episode number five. We're in 2019, but hurtling toward the end of the year. This is designing a game-changing user experience. And this is something that every company everywhere in the world, every footprint, every maturity, every industry needs to think about seriously. I have two experts on the panel today. They're going to go back and forth with me. and We're going to have a lot of great information for you, insights on how you can do this X and O data thing. So in just a moment, I'll be having my first guest, Elizabeth Erkenbrack. She spells her last name capital E-R-K-E-N, capital B-R-A-C-K. She holds a degree, a PhD. She's a linguistic anthropologist. We're going to find out about that. She's a senior XM scientist for Qualtrics. And joining her on the panel today is Roger Baxter. He is a Qualtrics experience management leader at SAP. Welcome to both of you. Elizabeth, you're up first. Please introduce yourself so everybody knows who you are. Hi, talk to me. Who are you? Good morning, Bonnie. Um, I am a linguistic anthropologist. I can't believe it's not the most widely known degree in the world. (laughs) Basically, what a linguistic anthropologist does and how I translate it over to the work I do at at Qualtrics is uh, that my job is to understand what people say, what they mean by what they say, which is not always the same thing, right? How people talk about something is often very different from what they're actually trying to communicate. And being able to unpack that is really important. And then tying that to what they do. Is this something where they just need to talk and blow off some steam, but it's not actually going to change behavior? Or is it something that's very, very behavior driving? And this is interesting to me theoretically in terms of the PA 
ADHD, but also for business, that's a very, very relevant uh, piece of insight to have. What is it that your customers are saying and what's going to drive their behavior in their relationship with you? So I work with clients from all over the world. I specialize in large, very complex organizations like financial services, health insurance. So I love the conversations where people say, oh, no, compliance says we can't do this. The regulation says we can't do this. Everybody can. It is something, experience management is something that every business and and every organization should be really focused on uh, in terms of looking towards the future. And I'm excited to be here. Good morning. Thank you. We're very happy to have you here, and I I love what you do, the idea of linguistic anthropologists. We'll talk more about that later. Quick question for you, Elizabeth, before I move slightly around the table to Roger Baxter. Question is, did you like or agree with the definition of customer experience that I read from my Wikipedia research about rational, emotional, sensorial, physical, and spiritual? Did that sum it up for you? It's a slightly different take. I wouldn't say it's necessarily agree or disagree. I think it's a very interesting perspective on it. For me, I am very focused on helping companies really achieve their outcomes. And so I think being able to understand your customer from all those different perspectives is really important. For me, the the ultimate focus is what are they really doing based on those. So I would just want to build it from all these different motivations, the rational, the spiritual, the emotional, into action and just draw that additional bridge there of not just how are they feeling or thinking about something, but what do they do based on it. Thank you very much. Glad for your perspective, Elizabeth. We're looking forward to a lot of insights from you today. And joining you is Roger Baxter. At Roger is at SAP. Roger, please introduce yourself. Thank you very much, Bonnie. And mm-hmm. uh, great to hear Elizabeth's introduction as well. Um, so um, I lead Design UX Strategy at SAP. And um, I've spent the past couple of decades really, really trying to get under the hood of people's relationships with brands, with products, and uh, both in the agency world and the consulting world, but um, but especially in the corporate world with SAP. Um, um, and really, again, trying to understand how the experience of a brand, how the experience of a product can influence their relationship with the company, um, even with each other. And um, I've really been um, pursuing research um, that looks into what, you know, what are those emotional and rational and social um, the components of these relationships that people have with brands and products and what, um, what companies can do about it, how they can help, how they can make them better. And uh, over the years, you know, I've been doing that with, with companies like United Airlines, um, Hyundai, JetBlue, Nike, BlackBerry, and uh, especially having a great time at SAP and you know, um, collaborating with a broad team there to, uh, to make this kind of work happen um, and with our Qualtrics friends. Thank you very much, Roger. And I'll ask you the same question I asked Elizabeth. Did you like or agree or disagree with the definition of customer experience from Wikipedia, which is obviously not about what we're talking about in terms of our XO uh, data today, but just as a starting point? What do you think? Did they cover enough of the definition? I I really liked how it covered the different sort of human dimensions of experience and and relationships, you know, the, the physical, the emotional, the social, the spiritual, all of those things, and and that's um, those are important things to take into account as a company tackles uh, and really embraces experience management to understand how how you can um, understand how people are are relating with you and your company and everything that you do, so you can make those things better and make the experience better. 
Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Nice to have you on, Roger. This is the part of the show where I ask my guests to tell me how the quote they picked in advance before the show relates to the topic. So the quote Elizabeth Erkenbrack has picked is from Amy Poehler. I didn't know that Amy Poehler had a middle name. It's Meredith. Just found that out. She's very much alive and well-born. Ah. It's ah, September 16, 1971. She has a birthday coming up. American actress, comedian, director, producer, and writer. She studied at Chicago Second City and Improv Olympic back in the early 1990s and co-founded the Upright Citizens Brigade. I, I've done comedy, I've done stand-up, I've done improv, and I know some people who came through that group. And uh, she also was on SNL for many years with her pal Tina Fey, and she's on NBC sitcom Parks and Recreation. Let's just leave it there. She's won all kinds of awards, and she did the weekend update with Tina Fey for a long time on SNL. Here's the quote Elizabeth has selected. It's very hard to have ideas It's very hard to put yourself out there. It's very hard to be vulnerable. But those people who do that are the dreamers, the thinkers, and the creators. They are the magic people of the world. Elizabeth, how does this relate to our discussion today? I love this quote because it it sort of is a call to action for everybody of the dreamers and the doers and the magic makers involves the actual making as well as the magic. And so as you're looking to create amazing experiences for your users, your customers, your constituents, whoever it might be, to be able to be brave enough to have an idea about how to fix that and try to put the idea into action, the idea that it, it creates and requires a sense of bravery to it, I think is very, very powerful because it's asking organizations to do something different, to to think a little bit outside of the box, to instead of thinking about a process, to think of the people and to really give the credit to the magic and the power of that shift of perspective and of sometimes the strength that it takes to speak up for your customers. Um, I, I found just very powerful and resonant for me about this quote from Amy. Thank you very much. I, it amazes me, Elizabeth. We, a couple times a year on various, I have 14 Game Changers series this year on, on air, and it amazes me that Amy Poehler comes up in a business context from time to time. Never would have thunk it. <laughs> take that, take that word appropriately as it's intended. Never would have thought that she would be quotable. In, in business context, and she certainly is, and it's interesting thinking outside the box. Do you think more people are daring to do that in the corporate setting today, Elizabeth? People are thinking, I want to be heard. I have an idea. Let's put it on the table and, damn it, pay attention to me. Do you think they are? <laughs> I think they are. I think they are. I, I think as especially as the experience world changes and voices, individual voices become more powerful, even with the technologies like the Yelps or the Facebooks or the Twitters of the world, where an individual voice can suddenly get such traction, there is recognition of the power of standing up and of being able to use your words and your voice to advocate both for what is what is your own idea, but also what is good for other people and recognizing that one person's opinion or or one person's need is not individual to them most often. It is a widely, uh, widely relevant perspective. So I do see especially a lot more individuals that might have stayed silent before due to level or rank or is my manager in the room Mm -hmm. really owning and standing up and having their ideas. 
Thank you very much. Great perspective. Roger Baxter, with your turn next. Roger sent me a lot of different quotes, but I think you let me pick the one I wanted for the show, Roger. So thank you for that bandwidth. I appreciate that. I've selected one from Yogi Berra. We had one from Berra last week on the show. He's known for his Yogi Berra-isms. Uh, Lawrence Peter, nicknamed Yogi, Y-O-G-I Berra, 1925 to 2015, Wow, 90. He was an American professional baseball catcher who took on the roles of manager and coach. He played 19 seasons in MLB, that's Major League Baseball, all but the last for the yay, New York Yankees. I'm a New Yorker. 18-time All-Star, won 10 World Series championships as a player more than any other player in MLB history, and he was elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1972. Okay, I'm getting to it. I'm getting to it. Here's, here's the quote from Yogi Berra. You can observe a lot by watching. Okay, Roger, you want to untangle that one for us, please? Well, the great thing about Yogi Berra quotes is he doesn't leave a lot to untangle sometimes. You know, and, um, and, I, and, and you hear these quotes and you, and you realize you, you realize why you know they nicknamed him Yogi. And yes, it, it rhymes with Yogi Berra, the cartoon character, but but he was also a philosopher, you know. And he was he was he was always a, a, an excruciatingly plain spoken philosopher. You know, my other favorite quote from him is you know if you see a fork in the road, take it. Um, but for, I love that one too. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But for this one, um, <clears throat> when he says you can observe a lot by watching, <clears throat> um, what he's really what he's really kind of invoking or, or you know provoking us to do is watch. You know, is to observe, is to listen, is to take it in. You know, you don't always have to be talking. You don't always have. You know, it's you know, seize every opportunity to take in the world and understand people, understand what they're trying to do, understand even if it's looking at the opposition. I'm sure it's, that was the context for him, was observing the competition, observing what the pitcher and catcher are doing, how they're communicating, and, and how, they're, how, how hitters are, are, are you know, coming up to the plate, what they're looking for, what they, what they swing at, all those things. But for us, what it means is, is watch. You know, um, really pay attention to what your people are looking for, or want, or need, or asking for, are showing through their actions that what they want to do, or what they want, you know, what they want you to do for them, and um, that I think is, you know, speaks volumes to um, one what I what's been my passion through my career, throughout my career, and also some of what we're talking about with XM, which is which is, um, you know, don't uh, don't hesitate to, to to take it in and listen and watch, and you're going to learn something. Thank you very much, Roger. Very, very interesting. That That is what we're talking about today is finding the data, mining the data, cleaning the data, putting it somewhere where you can gain those insights, using technology to get something actionable out of the data and watch. So I think it's been there all along, but companies just either didn't have access to that data or they didn't know what to do with it. Would you agree with that, Roger? I would. I would. And, and it's looking for the story in the data, too. It's not just about collecting. It's finding out what it means how you can help people by learning what you learn from that data. Thank you very much. Thank you to Yogi Berra for a great quote. We're just now going to go back and forth around the table one more time before we take a break, and I want to find out a little bit more personal about my panelists. So Elizabeth Erkenbrack, Dr. Elizabeth Erkenbrack, please tell us where are you calling from and what's your favorite beverage that powers you? Elizabeth? Oh, goodness. Well, I am calling from Tallahassee, Florida, actually. I am based in Denver, Colorado, but I am in Tallahassee this morning, and it is 
Uh, it is starting to be a little more sunny. My favorite drink or drink that powers me is is very typical, actually. I am a coffee fan. I prefer my coffee with cream and hot. I am not particular about whether or not it's super fancy, but to start my morning with a cup of coffee just starts it in a very warm and welcoming way. That's lovely. I love that warm and welcoming way. Welcome to the day. That's what your coffee is saying to you in linguistic terms. Elizabeth, welcome to your day. I'm your coffee. Let's get started. I like that idea. Talk about managing the experience. Coffee speaks up. (laughs) And Roger, where are you today (laughs) and what do you love to drink? Um, Hi. I'm actually uh, talking from Hudson Yards uh, in New York City. That's where our offices Mm -hmm. are. In New York, and uh, I'm very fortunate that we're up on the uh, on the 50th floor, so I get these beautiful views of uh, of New York Harbor and the skyline, and uh, I'm enjoying that while I'm enjoying this conversation. Thank you. Drink. What do you love to drink? Well, hmm. tricky one to narrow down, but I'll say for, I'll say for today, since it's the summertime in, in New York State, um, there's a, a rosé wine uh, from out on Long Island called Summer in a Bottle. And, uh, What's the vineyard, Roger? Which, which name? Which vineyard? <laughs> uh, it's Wolfer Estates Vineyard in Sagaponic, New York. Okay, I I used to live on Long Island, and once in a while I would go out to the North Fork and go winery hopping. And I remember mm. one of my favorite visits was to the Pindar Vineyard, oh, the yeah. Pinyard Winery, and I loved the bottles. And they had summer white, I think it was called. And I used to, I could find it in some local, I was in Great Neck, find it in some local uh, liquor stores, wine stores. But I remember tasting something called ice wine at one of the tastings I attended. Do you remember what, do you know what ice wine is? E-I-S? Ever heard yes. of it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Those frozen grapes at the end of the season and they just, oh, it's very expensive and it's very powerful and it's delicious. <laughs> and it's in a very little bottle for a lot of money, but it's really, really good. So I remember that experience there. Yes, those were the days. So just those of you not knowing who I am, oh my goodness, Bonnie D. Graham, a.k.a. Radio Red, in case you haven't heard that one, uh, my handle is at Radio Red 777 on Twitter. And I started SAP Game Changers Radio back in 2011. And here we are with 43 series. And today, this is one of our newer series, Designing a Game-Changing User Experience. I did leave Long Island almost two years ago this month and moved down to Durham, North Carolina. I'm experiencing one of the most consistently hot summers in in years. And I don't know how the plants are still alive. It's just edges up around 100 every day. It's not as hot as it is in Phoenix, where our radio station is based. Shout out to Ryan Treasure and Aaron Keller and the gang at World Talk Radio in Phoenix. But we are still very, very hot here. And my favorite drink right now is only water. Roger and Elizabeth, I'm not allowed to have anything stronger than water because today is a doubleheader radio show day. So I have this show and then an an hour later I'll be back with a different show so they won't let me anywhere near caffeine or anything stronger but tonight I can't vouch for that so here we are we're talking about what a feeling X plus O customer experience management are you getting the experience data are you getting the operational data what are you doing with them if you go on Twitter hashtag XM is experience management and that's what we're talking about today with Elizabeth Erkenbrack she's at Qualtrics and Roger Baxter at SAP I know they're smiling because I'm looking at their pictures we're We're going to take a quick break. 90 seconds is about all we're going to give you. So we're going to go out and have something refreshing just quickly, and you could do the same. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill by now. Aaron, out. 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. How will we work in the not-too-distant future? Will we work with or against machines? What can we do to create user experiences that make work delightful? How can we design technology to benefit our lives and society? These are some of the big questions facing business people, technologists, and designers today. Good design is the master key that opens the doors to technology's possibilities and people's abilities. When the user experience is right, it means we can work in a cooperative partnership with machines. Designing a game-changing user experience brings you insights from the thought leaders who are working to make this happen. Learn how great user experiences allow people and businesses to take maximum advantage of technology's advances. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Designing a Game-Changing User Experience, presented by SAP. You're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Designing a Game-Changing User Experience. Absolutely. That's what we're doing. We're talking about X plus O data experience and operational with my very special guest today, Elizabeth Erkenbrack. She holds a PhD degree and we call her Dr. Erkenbrack. She's a senior XM, that's experience management scientist at Qualtrics, and Roger Baxter leads design UX strategy at SAP. Welcome back, both of you. Elizabeth, we're going to start off with some of the notes you sent me before the show. Let me read a piece of the first one and you'll explain it to us and then I'll bring in Roger and see what he has to say about it. Then we'll go to some of Roger's notes and go back and forth. So Elizabeth told me the following. Listen up. This is provocative. And you all, regardless of where you are in the world, what your business is, this is important. She says, almost everyone now gives lip service to the importance of experience and can cite awful experiences they've had or that have gone viral on Twitter, but figure out how to understand what customers want. To be proactive rather than reactive is what sets the best in every industry apart. Elizabeth, talk to me. How does this all unpack, please? Well, it's very simple, Bonnie, right? No, this is the big challenge that organizations are facing, and there are a couple of different pieces that are really important to understand here as everyone is giving lip service. And I think the lip service is sincere. I don't say that meanly. It is just a, we think that experience is important. Good. We're done. Or we think that experience (laughs) is important and we have a call center and we're done. It is understanding that all of this data, this operational data, as well as the very human data, is what is needed to pull together in order to create these very proactive experiences, to design experiences against what your customers want, rather than to fix broken experiences after they break. And a couple of ways to do this is to understand all the different pieces of data that you can pull in that are very, very, very usable. And often this is uncomfortable 
uncomfortable for the business intelligence or operational folks. When I was working at uh, Western Union in a global financial services organization, they called it squishy data, right? This very Mm. human, qualitative idea that isn't transactional data. It's very squishy and very human. But as you pull together things like personas and journey maps that are tools that are based in data, as well as then this experience management insight of what are people saying at the different points in the journey, what are different personas saying along those different points in the journey, you start to unpack what it is that each organization can do to proactively create a great experience that customers might not even know that they want, they just complain about later. And I love looking at the best in the world at this, things like Disney did this in terms of when people started complaining about trash and having trash cans. And it's such a logistical point when you think about a Disney park, but you will never be more than a set number of steps. It's between 10 and 15, depending on how long your step is. You will never be further than that from a trash can because having trash everywhere or having to dispose of your trash impacts your experience of magic, right? And so being able to look at all of this logistical data as well as all this experience data and to understand that there's, there's real insight and real solid insight in the customer behavior and in the customer language that you can put at the table with the other types of data to be able to create these really proactive experiences. Really quickly, my other favorite example of this is Amazon Prime and Mm -hmm. why Amazon started testing, charging people proactively for shipping, but then guaranteeing shipping in two days. And this actually proactively addressed a major pain point for Amazon customers, which was, when is my package going to arrive? When is my package going to arrive? When, you know, that very emotional, I want my thing. Mm -hmm. And they decided to proactively address that in a very unconventional way because they were able to see that it's such, um, it was such a cause of anxiety, if not pain. And the customers themselves never said, we want two-day shipping. It wasn't even on the radar screens of everyone when Amazon started doing this. What they did is they called into the call center in droves just to confirm their shipping times. And so Amazon was able to proactively, not reactively, address that customer need by putting all this data, this squishy data and this very statistically uh, robust data together at the table to create their solutions. Thank you. Very, very interesting, Elizabeth. I'd love to get Roger's POV on this. Roger, please join us. Agree, disagree. You have any other examples? Love to hear it. Agree all over the place. <laughs> okay. Um, as, I often, <laughs> as I often do with Elizabeth. But, um, but I think in this case, um, I would say, you know, that, that, whole, that whole process of, of course, you know, collecting this data, understanding what people are doing, whether it's, you know, whether it's Disney, you know, Disney park guests or, or Amazon um, guests, customers, and so on. Um, and I think, you know, the, the, what, what I, I guess my build on that would be that the, um, the way that companies really take it and bring it into the way that they work as a company and, and their culture and how they build it into their processes is, is, is absolutely vital. I think that, that process of, of listening and observing, bringing in that data and making something of it, and then figuring out how you as a company can respond, um, whether it's, you know, again, whether it's, it, it's subtle changes to an experience on an Amazon product page, 
or the checkout experience or so on, it's really, um, it's really important that, um, you know, when, I, when you and your colleagues are, are analyzing that data and, and in turn really trying to get a better understanding of these people that are vital to your business, um, that you also question your own assumptions about your business, how you work, how your, your assumptions about, you know, who these people are and, and what they want from you, and that you're kind of examining that as you build this into the way you've always worked, and, um, and the outcomes then can be really um, tailored to, to what these people are asking, both as a, as a large group but also as individuals. Thank you, Roger. Very interesting. I'm looking at your notes, and I'm not quite ready to move on yet, but there's something in your first set of notes to me. You said, forget about companies, business strategy, and technical innovation. How does it feel when someone asks you how they can make things nicer for you than actually finds a way to do that? That's the magic, isn't it? That's the proactivity, that the proactive approach that Elizabeth was talking about a minute ago, Roger? Absolutely. And, it, and it's utterly human. You know, it's... it's, it's um all these things that we're talking about are, are really about how we can have that better relationship with this human being, whether it's an individual or whether it's millions. Thank you very much. Elizabeth, anything you want to add to that before I move on to something from Roger's notes here? I just have one build, actually. I love this back and forth. I absolutely agree with everything that, that Roger just said. My build would be that this doesn't belong to just one team. There's not mm-hmm. just one, you know, it's not just call center. It's not just digital. It's not just UX. But really being able to deliver this, this proactive experience involve, it involves investment from everyone in the organization. And if you look at the Amazon example, it was solving uh, something that came up in the call center, not in the call center, but by going way up that journey and reassessing how to do the shipping experience because of what they saw in the call center. That being able to share data, to not have data be so siloed, is one of the key parts of being able to actually deliver against this. Thank you very much. All good insights. Yes, the back and forth is really cool. That's what we do here on Game Changers, Elizabeth. We have a conversation. We're real people. <laughs> thank you, thank you for that. Cool. We're not reading slides. We're not reading a script. We're real people. Roger told me the following. <laughs> this is interesting. Roger says, experience management incorporates multiple perspectives into helping companies and brands create better experiences for their customers and users. As we've been talking about, let me add some more from Roger. He says, listening to direct feedback is one of many channels to listen, learn, and act on people's needs. So is knowing and understanding what they bought from you before or where they live or who they're buying for. You have to analyze the data from all of these perspectives. Roger, that sounds like a Herculean task. Are we talking about a new level of data scientist tell us who who i always ask the question on the radio it's great to say you need to but who who is the you who needs to do this roger great question right because because we you, we can keep we can keep these conversations at such a high sort of philosophical level mm-hmm. about you should you should you should yes so who's you awesome um it is it, it can it can <laughs> I, I hate to answer your question with something vague to begin with, but I'll, I'll get to a, I'll get to a sharper point. Take your um, time. It's it, you know, <laughs> it depends. You know, it depends on the company. Of course, it depends on the organization, and you know, it may be you know in a, in a small business, it may be the individual proprietor, you know, the owner, who 
has come to know these you know these these customers or has the opportunity to um, to be able to pose questions to them in the environment in which they're they're shopping whether it's a, a survey that's that's presented to them or, or served to them um, on on a, on their business's website or whether it's you know within a product experience whatever it is um, <clears throat> so so them being able to get that kind of direct feedback, if the person is able to either respond, you know, to a, to that question in an email, or on the spot, you know, in a site survey, but then being able to observe and being able to look at um, that person's, you know, that person's history of shopping with them and understanding, mm-hmm. oh yeah, you know, this is this is um, you know this is seems to be what. You know they they most value from me and my company, and um, just as a just as a, as a small example, or they happen to live in, in in this place, and here you know here's what I know about it, or here's what I've learned about it, and to be able to really kind of put on the table all of those facts and perceptions that that person that customer I shared with you, and to be able to then see a story in it, see a pattern, find a pattern. And, you know, there, there are data scientists who do that in larger companies or mm-hmm. even for smaller companies. Um, and that can happen through, um, you know, if you're able to normalize all that data and put it into, um, you know, an analytics application and to, to analyze it and make sense of it and, and define you know, and find the, the relationships uh, between the different data sets. But it's also, again, ultimately a human being um, mm-hmm. Or a system is going to have to make a decision on, you know, what what they want to do about that. You know, this is what I've learned. This is the insight. Oh, they, you know, they seem to like this on Sundays, or they seem to, you know, they, they seem to really, you know, they, their needs seem to be evolving in this way. Maybe I'll try this. Um, so it it can be any anybody with a varying array of of, of technical skills who can who can really use this. Thank you very much. Elizabeth, I want you to comment on this, but what I'd love to bring into this part of the conversation is the question of, ooh, is that creepy? They know what I bought on Sunday, and they think they know who I'm buying it for on Monday. And Oh, my goodness. And I have to tell the two of you that I keep getting pitches or pings from Amazon offering me orange, not traffic cones, but these orange triangles that you put up if you have a car that's sitting in traffic or you have something, somebody delivering something in front of your house, blocking a lane, these orange traffic warning things that you put on the ground in the road. This is two days in a row. They've been telling me they're recommending it to me, and I have no clue why? So I'm not in the traffic cone business. <laughs> I'm not planning to just disrupt the road in front of my house here. So uh, anyway, Elizabeth, talk, talk about, please, about what Roger said. And then I want both of you to get into the where does this XM break, just come right up really close to the question of privacy, security, and what do you mean you know who I bought that for? So uh, give, give, me, give me some background from you, Elizabeth. Go ahead and talk to Roger, please. Oh, that it, it is uh, it is definitely a careful balance, right, of algorithms mm-hmm. who either creepily know too much or creepily get it really wrong and decide yeah. they're about to have a major car catastrophe. <laughs> like, 
Mm, that is concerning, Amazon. Can you tell the future? Um, so building off of what Roger would say, and then I'd love to, I, I will definitely circle back to the questions of both privacy yeah. and just how, what is the relationship people have to their technology? Because you see this as a very different comfort level based on generations. But I, I just want to build on um, the first point that Roger was saying earlier, because really this is where strategy and execution need to come together because with a good experience management platform, you're able to see who is delivering the experience and who might need to have that very real-time, very tangible, what we call a closed-loop process, the ability Mm -hmm. to follow up and fix something or follow up and say, oh, I'm glad this works so well for you, but it's a very one-to-one. But at the same time, to be able to really grow that, you need the strategy, that high-level, often executive leadership, but not always, who's driving the strategy of the organization and Mm -hmm. making sure that it's really tied to those one-to-one pieces. And so the... it, it does ultimately boil down to everyone is responsible to experience, for experience, but they're responsible for it in really different ways. And you need your data to be able to tell the story that they themselves see so that a, a C-suite level executive doesn't necessarily care about average handle time of one person, but that care center representative is going to really care about their average handle time, right? And so making sure that they're seeing the right data for the kinds of decisions that they need to make because some are very immediate and some are very high level and longer term. And then making sure what is being executed is being executed against that high level strategy. So that's Thank really you. one of the big pieces that yeah. experience management tries, tries to solve, right? Is that it's, it's multiple layers of everybody working together, but in different ways. Um, in terms of privacy, this is where knowing your personas becomes very important because there is a high level of comfort for uh, for some generations about their their companies knowing them very well. In fact, they want them to and they expect them to. And there is also a very high level of discomfort depending on who your customer is. Mm-hmm. Some don't want anything saved. They will clear their cookies every time. They do not want to save their credit card online. They do not want anything, any implication that you know anything more about them than just what is happening in that one instance. And the other one wants it to be as fast as possible and doesn't care if that means you remember their financial information and where they live and that their mother is the one who really likes purple coffee cups or whatever (laughs) it is, right? And so here is where that squishy data becomes really, really relevant, where it's a question of who is your user and who is your customer and that they are not always the same person. Um, And that's really one of the best places to use this squishy data that I love so much to be able to, as you're defining your strategy and as you're executing against it, make sure that you know who you are aiming to serve in that moment. And it it does involve technology that is very agile and very real-time. Having technology that gives you feedback every 30 days is not going to enable you to do that. Thank you very much. Very interesting. And by the way, I checked, Elizabeth and Roger. I want you to know they're trying to sell me a Cortina three-piece triangle warning kit for eighteen ninety nine. I'm going to check Prime. in on you in a couple of days, Bonnie. I'm a little bit concerned about this now. <laughs> I am too. And to go with it, they want me to have a seventeen fifty Phillips screwdriver. They want me to have a uh, an upgraded adjustable DC motor speed, and they want me to have a bag sealer, a poly bag sealing machine. I don't know. <laughs> 
I, I can't even, I can't even, I just, all I can say is I can't even. Roger, come back in on this. What's your thought about algorithms and privacy and knowing too much of when to use it and, and that creepy, squishy level, that, that edge of when do you know enough to give people proactively what you think they need and when is it too much? Roger? Yeah, I, I think, again, you know, I hate to keep going back to, you know, other squishy concepts that I brought up earlier, but it actually it actually really does depend on your relationship with them and and whether mm-hmm. they're willing to absolutely uh, choose to you know ask you to not ask them questions, not you know not you know not have this kind of insight into, into their you know their their needs and um, and you know whether they choose to opt out or 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 ask you to you know not. Not do this, or, or you know, just not provide permission to, to to do that kind of stuff. It's it's really just about what's what's comfortable for them. Um, and obviously, we have you know there are there are regulations for this um, in terms of data privacy. So um, you know we yep. obviously want to abide by that when um, when we, we hope. do this. <laughs> um, the other the other thing I actually wanted to wanted to follow up on was um, I, I actually really loved how Elizabeth built on on some of the stuff we've been going back and forth on um, as it as it pertains to strategy, right? How you you apply your your insights and what you learn and these patterns that you observe in the X and O data to how you plan your business, what it is you want to become as a business, um, because you want to mean more, you want to be more valuable to the people that are your audience or your customers. Um, and it also, I guess my build would be, um, and, and the, the company itself, the brand, um, you want to be authentic. You, know, you, you actually can't be all things to all people necessarily. It's not always easy to be anyway. And that's where strategy comes in. And you, you, know, you have to make active choices that, you know, yes, this is, this is something that we can give these people. There's a, here's a really interesting way we can respond to the needs that we're seeing people express. Through their through their actions and their words, um, and and then there are others where they just might be a bridge too far. They just might be something that's actually a, a different business than the one that the person has right now, um, and and they really do need to prioritize, which which is really the essence of strategy. Thank you very much. Very interesting commentary. I'm bouncing back to Elizabeth's notes. And here's something I don't think we've covered yet, Elizabeth. You say, XM is really about understanding a different ex- perspective. Um, user error is a very valid thing. What XM looks at is how to create an experience that doesn't just technically function, but functions for the user. Interesting. Uh, sometimes the engineer or the designer blames the user and say, oh, they're not using it right. They didn't understand it. But basically it comes down to that user experience. Elizabeth, how do you get, get through that maze? What do you suggest to companies about understanding that not everybody's going to do it the way you expected something to be done? This, this is a very complex conversation, right, because designers know their work so well, it's not that it's designed incorrectly or designed with a lower level of quality. It's just remembering the perspective of someone who's actually not a designer trying to navigate through that and being able to look at things like heat mapping and eye tracking and a lot of the UX tools 
set against a lot of the XM tools of what are they trying to accomplish? How quickly do they want to be able to do this? What are they actually trying to do? And being able to tell that story together so that then the design can speak to that and really be able to deliver against the end user, not just does it work, right? Does it function? Um, because most technology actually often does function, but does it work for what they're trying to do or are there parts of it where they're getting confused? And one of my favorite examples of this is actually the development of the iPhone period. Before the iPhone and before the iPod, this wasn't technology that anyone was really asking for, right? It was designed to create an entirely different experience experience that is now what everybody expects from their phones, but at the time was completely revolutionary. So it's designing for that different perspective, not just designing for what the designer thinks they want to do, but what is the user trying to accomplish. Very interesting. Roger, come back to us. What do you think? Agree or disagree? How do you get that experience so that it works for the person it's supposed to work for? Sorry, I ended a sentence with a preposition. Go ahead, Roger. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, no, I, I agree with, with design being a, a user-centric exercise, right? It's, it's about a very human-centric exercise. You know, how is it that we want to enable this person to, you know, to be able to help themselves or satisfy their own goals? Um, I, guess the, I guess the bit, um, I'm not sure if it's a disagreement, but I guess maybe just having you know, lived in, a, in the design world for, for a while, um, you know, what, what Elizabeth is describing is actually the essence of design, which is understanding um, who, this, you know, who this person is, um, what, you know, what are they trying to do, and, and how, you know, how, how can they best, um, and how can you make their experience as easy and seamless and focused as possible so that, you know, they don't even really have to think about whatever the technology is that you're, that you're putting in front of them. That's the goal. That's the goal of design. Um, but I, but what I all you know, agree with wholeheartedly is that um, you know that, that people who are building products need to have that sensibility you know really front and center. Um, you know you can you can you can build almost anything, but is it going to mean something? Is it going to be valuable? Is it going to be useful to that person? That's going to depend on on really you engaging with that person, understanding what it is they're trying to do, um, and getting their feedback as this thing comes to life. Thank you. Elizabeth, any comments coming back to Roger? We have a little bit more time before we go to our predictions round. Anything on your mind about this? Um, I think that I agree with everything that he said. I think putting it into action can sometimes be challenging because, and, and bringing in the what is the user really trying to achieve as the main catalyst or the main thing to design against, I think that um, it it can become a very challenging conversation on the intricacies between UX and XM of the expectations that are brought in, what are they trying to do versus um, the designer that often thinks that they are designing for the end user, even when the metrics show that there, there needs to be some tweaking there. So I would mostly say I completely agree. And I think everyone comes with that intention, with that focus, with that um, goal in mind and to just 
level set for anyone listening that if this is challenging from from either side, for anyone involved in the conversation, that's very, very, very common. And that part of having good data behind your experience management is to be able to say, look, this isn't just my opinion. This is what the users are doing and the users are asking for and the users are saying. Um, and so really being able to have robust data for both sides to bring in to work together towards that mutual end goal. It helps it not be a, well, I said, well, you said, but to say mm-hmm. all of us together are working towards this. Here's some information to help us. Thank you very much. I'm going to squeak in one more topic quickly here from Roger, and then, Elizabeth, you can get ready with your 60-second prediction. We'll have enough time for that. Roger told me, he says, getting XM experience management right isn't just about making the customer, the employee, or the product experience is better. If you're trying to positively change the way people experience your company and your brand, it often means changing technology, skills, and the ways you are doing things. This sounds like a big deal, Roger. Is, is our companies aware of this? Is this stop, look, and listen, and for goodness sake, don't do that anymore, or go get some new technology? How how important is this, Roger? Well, I, yeah, I, I'm I'm so glad you went to this place. <laughs> um, and Elizabeth was actually, was actually talking about it earlier, in, in a sense, because you know, there's there's the there's the collecting of the data, there's there's the there's gathering the understanding, and then there's the doing. Now, then there's the then there's really putting it into action, and and I and I you know the 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 parallel to that is, you know when you think about how you would set up XM in a, in a experience management in a company, um, or or do anything really you've you know the sometimes the easiest part is is thinking about the technology and how you collect the data and and things like that, and and the the bigger commitments the harder work is. How you how you really put it to work? How 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 does it change you? Um, you know how does it how does it change the process? How does it impact the processes that you go through? How does that new insight um, make even what you're already doing better by by just having the inputs higher quality and therefore the outputs are going to be a higher quality? But even 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 then, you may find opportunities in this data to to really really do things differently um, and really question your assumptions about. How your customers see you, see your products, and how they should all work together. Um, really big opportunity to get under the hood of, of your company and your culture, and um, and and really use this this data as as grist as 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 food for good conversation um, that yields really concrete actions. Um, and maybe it, it well and hopefully. Um, finding easier and better ways of, of doing things that make your improvements to, to who you are, but also the things you make um, ever faster. Thank you very much. Elizabeth, we're in crystal ball territory right now. I've got 60 seconds, maybe a little bit more, but let's start with there. Elizabeth Erkenbrack, Ph.D. at Qualtrics. It's time for you to look into the crystal ball and focus on what will change if you and I and Roger met again, let's say, oh, I don't know, even just a year from now, 2020. Will anything change about this concept of X plus O data and a positive, proactive customer experience and how to manage that? Elizabeth, you're up. Oh, yes, I hope that it changes. It's been a very exciting field to be in for the past several years as 
more and more organizations are realizing the power of this and of not being able to say, well, this is how we've always done it, but to really start innovating and reprioritizing and, and putting this into action. A couple of the things that I think are really going to change either in the next year, especially in the next maybe three to five, is uh, the, the instantaneousness of our connection to technology as well as our relationship with technology. And we see this very clearly in things like medical advancement, but I think also in terms of how we relate to each other, how we relate to our businesses, technology is going to be a not disappearing, uh, ongoing relationship that we have to navigate. And so in terms of those questions around the creepiness of the traffic cones, right? What is mm-hmm. it and how can both the business <laughs> and the individuals really be able to navigate this well, since I don't think it's going away? Um, the other piece is I think we need to be really careful in how we take these very, sometimes very complex needs or wants or feedback pieces and make them simple. And there's a real... Um, there's a real skill to being able to taking customer data and this squishy data and making it very robust and very strong, but also easy to understand. This isn't just about reducing things to sound bites, but it's about really unlocking those insights that can drive action, but are also very straightforward and easy to understand. And I think that that is going to improve. I have a great deal of optimism and faith in the future. The next year, the next several years, I think that um, the people coming up in the generations are amazing. I think that the current generations are amazing. I think that people, even as they navigate this relationship to the increasingly complex technology, are just extraordinary in their engagement with the world and each other. And being able to be in that crux and in that space is one of the most exciting places to be. Thank you very much. We have just enough time for 60 seconds from Roger Baxter. Roger, predict, please. Well, I, I found Elizabeth's prediction um, really exciting, and I, I, I guess you know, given given sixty seconds, I'll, I'll keep it simple. Um, I think that the, the future, uh, in the future that I see, um, very hopeful, and and I think very confident that that more and more companies are going to discover um, how experience management can make their business more productive, make their people more productive, and. And, and, and really create more value, not only within the business, but actually for the, for the people that they call their customers. Um, and I think it, it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to come about through, you know, the, the, you know, the ancient <laughs> processes of the marketplace in that, you know, people are going to see their competitors, people are going to see businesses in other industries take advantage of this opportunity to learn and get better and, and grow um, everything that they do. Thank you, Roger. Thank you. Appreciate it. We're at the 30-second mark. I have to get going here. So I want to thank Andrea Wasteless at SAP for putting so much energy into putting this episode together. In the absence of the sponsor of this series, Esther Blankenship is on vacation. Esther, hope you're having a good one. And they did you proud, lady. This was a really great episode. Aaron, our engineer extraordinaire at World Talk Radio, the business channel, thank you for getting us on the air and keeping us there. And here's my call to action. And by the way, thank you to SAP Designs for creating a coffee cup with the word Game Changers floating in the cream on the top of the coffee and promoting the show. We really appreciate that. You can follow them at SAP underscore designs on Twitter. So here's my call to action. Finally, fasten your seatbelt. What are 
are you waiting for? Come on, go out and be a game changer today, just like Dr. Elizabeth Erkenbrack at Qualtrics and just like Roger Baxter at SAP. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Have a good one. Go out and design the world. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Designing a Game-Changing User Experience, presented by SAP, the best run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.